Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What if we had a show about solutions? You know, a repair manual for the real world. Not the same old left versus right. I am right, I'm right. and you are wrong. You're wrong. Boring. <laughs> yeah, something new. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. Yeah. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? We all pay taxes, but how well is that money being spent? You know, it seems like our government sometimes is a big tangled mess. So I want to know, Jim, how, how do, do we, we fix it? it? This is a huge problem for all of us, making sure that we get a good bang for our buck when we hand over a third or perhaps more of our income to the government. Now, you and I don't always agree on matters of government. I'm a centrist. I'm okay with the government providing lots of services as long as they're reasonably well delivered. Yeah, and I lean a little more libertarian. I'm a small government guy, but that doesn't mean that I also don't want those necessary services to be handled well. But you and I are frustrated by just how poorly many services are delivered. I mean, much of the government, it seems, is on autopilot, and that's why we decided to do this show. With us today to help us sort some of this out is Philip K. Howard, author of the book The Rule of Nobody, Saving America from Dead Laws and Broken Government. And Philip, one of your books that came out 20 years ago called The Death of Common Sense had a pretty big impact on me and the way I look at politics. So let's start with the title of this new one, The Rule of Nobody. What do you mean by that? That we're so scared of anyone making a decision that it's actually embodied in our culture. The most obvious choices at any level are not available because laws supplanted the ability of a real person to make a decision. And this includes matters of life and death. And in the rule of nobody, you cite the case of a man in 2011 who was drowning off the coast of Alameda, California. Firefighters are on the beach. They're doing nothing to rescue the man. And someone asks, why don't you help him? And the fire chief says, because of budget cuts, we haven't been recertified for land-based rescue, and therefore it would be illegal for us to save his life. I mean, really. So, so, so what happened? Well, a woman passing by dives into the cold ocean to try to go rescue the guy, gets there too late. She ends up dragging the body back in. This caused something of a stir. <laughs> so the next day, the press asked the um, fire chief, he said, well, what would you have done if that had been a young child drowning? And he said, I know what I would do if I was off duty, but if I was on duty, I'd have to follow the rule. So the rule turned him into an idiot. Yes, <laughs> yes. And 
I can't. T- uh, 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 just last year uh, in in D.C., uh, a lifetime Parks Department employee is walking along the street with his daughter, had a heart attack right in front of a fire station. The firemen are standing there. She runs across. Says, I think my father had a heart attack. Please come help me. And they say, Oh no, the rule is you're supposed to call 911. These are first responders. No, 911. He said, But he's gasping for breath. I'm sorry. The rule says to call 911. Calls 911. By the time the ambulance gets there, he's dead. Every week, there are stories like this that come out. We have the wrong idea of law. Law is only a framework for human responsibility. It should never replace freedom and human responsibility. Yeah, you talk about automatic laws, so, so taking the, 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 the realm of sort of common sense choice out of the hands of officials. Yeah, law has replaced freedom, basically, uh, including the freedom to take, take responsibility. So just to – I'll just give an example – uh, tree falls in a creek in Franklin Township, New Jersey, a couple of years ago, causes flooding. Mayor sends in a backhoe to pull it out. Um, then the lawyer says, oh, I'm sorry, that's a Class C1 creek, whatever that means. And you need official approval before you remove a natural object from a creek. And that requires then two weeks and over $10,000 of legal fees to while, get approval. While, while to do, that tree is still flooding the creek. Yeah, while the tree is still flooding the creek. Uh, it, to do what's completely obvious, which is to pull the tree out of the creek. I, I think you've really got a point that it's crept up on us without people really knowing it was happening. Did you have like an aha moment? Like when did you kind of wake up and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, it, it's interesting. I've understood it better since uh, – since 20 years ago when I wrote The Death of Common Sense and then I worked closely with Clinton and Gore and on, on reinventing government. But it, it's, it hasn't changed since then. And, and I've begun to understand that, that we should now ask not what's the right thing to do or what's practical or what's sensible, but to ask instead what does the rule require. And then what the part of the book that really resonated with me is – these are in many cases. These are professionals. You talk about first responders. My wife used to be a teacher, and she saw this. I mean, there were rules that literally mandated how many examples of your students' work should be on your bulletin board, instead of just a general principle that your room should be lively with students' work hanging around. Um, but this idea that that officials having responsibility in a system that rewards them for making smart choices uh, would give them more flexibility to um, to to make the calls they have yeah. to do, and it is so different from that today. Oh, it's so different, and it's and it's really tragic because, you know, the great thing about being in America is that you can wake up in the morning, you can invent your own life, you can do things your own way, you can get the satisfaction of 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 offering just what you alone can offer. You know, one of, I think it was Tocqueville said, "There's an amazing diversity in the human, astonishing diversity in the human species. Every person is different. We do things in different ways. The great things about a free society is that you allow people to do things in their own way, not in just one way. And that's why central planning was so terrible. You know, we have a daughter who's a teacher. Uh, They try to program you as if you're a computer. Well, bureaucracy makes people go brain dead. This is just inescapable truth. And what makes kids learn is spontaneity and interest and fun and personality. It's the opposite of that. It's the opposite of bureaucracy. And sometimes I think, you know, that spontaneity and that ability to improvise 
is important, even in real critical life and death situations. I, I'm actually writing a book right now about big man-made disasters like the BP oil spill and space shuttle mm-hmm. and, and others. And well, a lot of times you think, well, this is an area where really strict regulation like drilling for oil is necessary. Sometimes if people have their nose in the rule book and their question isn't, is it safe, but is it compliant? They actually miss big risks to the yeah, regulations. But, but you're not saying no regulations. Yeah, I, I mean, that we, ha- we need regulations. Yes. Yeah, so the, what I'm interested from you, Philip, is so how do we evolve from adding more and more pages to the rule book to uh, setting up these general principles right. and to have some flexibility within those general principles? Well, it's interesting. Uh, well, first, let me say I think that the political debate is almost entirely in the wrong dimension. It's not a question of big government versus deregulation. In an increasingly crowded, interdependent world, our freedom is enhanced if someone makes sure the air is clean, the toys don't have lead paint on them, they're not terrorists coming in the airports, you know. So we need government. But the question is how it delivers those services. And so what I'm arguing is that law should be much more like the Constitution, 10 pages, general principles, goals, not like thousands of OSHA rules. You say that all laws should have sunset provisions. Explain what a sunset provision is. Well, you know, laws, like all life choices, have unintended consequences. And priorities change in life and such. And so it's incredibly important that laws and regulations periodically expire, not so that we necessarily get rid of them, but so we can reevaluate whether they're working as intended and, and are still high priorities. Uh, farm subsidies from the New Deal. It has been 75 years since any farmer was starving. We're still spending $15 billion a year to subsidize mainly corporate farmers. That's one that actually should be just be scrapped. I mean, this is crazy. Uh, special education, really important law passed in 1975 because before then we locked up special needs kids in horrible places like Willowbrook. Special ed has morphed into a bureaucratic monster that now consumes over 25% of the total K-12 budget in America. There's almost nothing for early education or for gifted children. Is that the right balance? No one's even asking the question. Yeah, recently we had uh, Elizabeth Green on this show, and she's written a book called uh, Building a Better Teacher. And it was about how we can improve the quality of teaching in America. And one of her big frustrations was also a huge amount of governance and a confusion about where the rules are coming from. So that's part of this problem. Oh, completely. I mean, bureaucracy can't teach. Let's just get there. What bureaucracy does is it suffocates all the things that are good for teaching. So if, if you had one reform that would make schools better, it would be basically take away all the rules and, and let people be accountable. Because then different school, schools could do things in different ways. They could invent. They could innovate. Um, and, you know, there should be a general principle of fair treatment of students. And, you know, there, there are a lot of principles you can have that are perfectly fair, but fundamentally, teachers need to be, be, be able to own their classrooms, and principals need to be able to own their schools and be accountable to their constituents, which include not only people up the chain of command in schools, but also the parents. Yeah. You know, we tend to think of the U.S. as being a little more laissez-faire and freewheeling than a lot of other industrialized countries, but how, in fact, in many other countries, they do have a more flexible thing. I was particularly struck with the example of the nursing homes in Australia, how they scrapped a pretty thorough regulatory regimen and replaced it with what exactly? They scrapped a thousand rules, things like 
Food shall be stored not less than 15 centimeters above the floor. There should be 0.09 recreational workers per resident. You know, all the very detailed rules. Most states in the United States have about 1,000 rules, plus all sorts of paperwork rules. Then the inspectors come in and give tickets because they didn't comply with the paperwork. Nobody ever really even checks is, are the residents happy? Do they mm-hmm. like being there? You know, the stuff that's really important is not objective. And, and, and what are some important. of the, like, really trivial rules that there may be in a nursing home situation? Oh, food should be served at not less than 115 degrees Fahrenheit and, and not more than 145 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing that people spend their days trying to comply with. Well, what Australia did is that they replaced um, their 1,000 rules with 31 general principles. Have a home-like setting. Respect the dignity of the residents. That sort of thing. And what happened? Well, the experts scoffed. They said these nursing home operators are going to get away with murder. And within a year, the nursing homes were twice as good. American politicians love to say, we're the freest nation on earth. Are we? No. No, clearly not. It's interesting. You know, America, we clearly still have a culture of freedom in many ways, but um, but it, when it comes to, for example, the ability to start a business, the U.S. is now ranked 46th in the world in ease of starting a business. Well, you have one egregious example. Let's say I wanted to – we're in New York City. Let's say I wanted to start a restaurant in New York City. How many government agencies do I have to go to? You have to get approvals from 11 different government agencies. Uh, one of the reasons we can't rebuild infrastructure in this country – is because nobody has the authority to say go. But lots of people have the authority to say no. And yes, and that's the problem. So America's electric grid, the, the power lines, waste about 7% of the electricity, which is the equivalent of 200 coal-burning power plants. It makes a lot of sense economically and otherwise to replace them, but to fix America's power grid requires the approval of 231 different government departments. So... Even the most obvious projects to rebuild infrastructure require somebody to do the equivalent of negotiating an international treaty. Yeah, well, you have an interesting example of this, and that is that after the 2008-2009 financial crisis and near collapse of our economy, the Obama administration argued, convincingly, convincing Congress, for a lot of money to be spent on shovel-ready projects, yes. on stimulus. right. What happened? $800 billion. And, you know, a big portion of that was going to infrastructure. They they came out with their five-year report last year, and buried in the back of the report was this number. 3.6% got spent on transportation infrastructure. And you and you say, well, well, why is that? I mean, well, it turns out that the president of the United States, duly elected by a majority of citizens, doesn't have the authority to approve. We're talking rebuilding projects, not roads through virgin forests. Even most obvious rebuilding projects takes literally 47 different permits from 19 different agencies. Five years, same foundations, same right-of-way. So we've got this society that truly is the rule of nobody, this, this structure. It's paralyzed not because the politicians are yelling at each other, yelling at each other because it's paralyzed. They can't do anything, so what's left but to yell and scream and point fingers? Yeah, you know, one of the lines in your book that I like, you said that, you know, after some of the, the changes in the 1960s, our government agencies were run by clerks and jerks, accountable to no one and empowered only to say no. Yeah, all over the place, people can say no and they safeguard that prerogative. That's their power. They can say no. 
but nobody can say yes. Well, let me push back a little bit here. So how do you have a situation where you've got a new project, not, not merely replacing, say, an existing bridge, but a new project that might have environmental implications, that might affect ranchers, might affect clean air, might affect a lot of different sure. people in different ways. I mean, how can you devise a system to streamline that? Because it seems like that sort of project does need to have quite a few people weighing in on it. Well, you should have an environmental review, very important. Uh, but the environmental review should do what it was intended to do, which is only talk about significant environmental impacts, not whether every pebble was overturned. Environmental reviews have now become creatures of the consultants. The 10,000 pages, they make people rich. They should be 100 pages. They should focus on what's really important. And it should never take longer than two years. That's how other countries – Germany has a very green environmental footprint – uh, n no approval takes longer than two years. I mean, we're talking about tunnels through the middle of cities, big oil platforms in the North Sea. It's all through two years. And we're talking about a green government here. A little bit of history here. Was it always like this in America? I mean, it, or, or have we just become way more rules-bound in the last 20 or 30 years? Well, uh, in the New Deal... Uh, the Civilian Works Administration was, was enacted in November um, for job relief. By the end of December, Harry Hopkins, who ran that program, had employed 2 million Americans wow. in seven weeks. It would take seven years just to go through the first part of the planning process today. So, yes, things changed. They changed because we woke up to all these bad values in the 1960s, racism, gender discrimination, pollution, lies about the Vietnam War, and uh, the legal experts said, we never want to trust anybody to make a bad decision again. We're going to create a legal decision system where nobody has to make a decision. We thought that by having no authority, we would be more free. Well, it's true that having bad authority, like racist, mm -hmm. is the enemy of freedom, but it's also true that having no authority is the enemy of freedom, and that's why. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But we're just waking up to. We're talking with Philip Howard on How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Philip, you've talked about simplifying government, reducing red tape, letting officials make decisions. But how do we get there? I mean, how, you know, how do we manage these bureaucrats and other public officials so they're able to make better decisions but still be accountable? Well, I think we have to do it all at once. Change always happens because of pressure from the outside. I have the not-for-profit called Common Good, and we're trying to 
to put humans back in charge of government. And just what you were talking about, one of the thoughts in your book is is that we replace automatic authority with, with human responsibility. Yeah, and so as with the nursing homes, for example, you create a, a, a code of principles, have a home-like setting, respect the dignity of the residents, serve nutritious meals, that sort of thing. You create an enforcement mechanism. You, you don't do away with regulation. You have, you have regulatory oversight. But instead of coming in and giving tickets, uh, you know, it's a $500 ticket because we don't like the way those peas were cooked or something, mm-hmm. um, you the, do what they did in Australia, which is say, you know, we really think you need to improve the food. And we'll come back in 60 days. You know, we're going to monitor this, make sure you do a little better. So it's a process of improvement rather than gotcha. And the same thing could happen in many settings. Look at the way good charter schools are run. They don't have lots of rules. They have some principles and such. Well, why, why can't a public school be run the way a good charter school is run? Why can't we give the people the presumptive flexibility to do things in their own way. Then they'll be excited when they wake up in the morning. They'll be excited when they go because they own their day. They're not just trudging through the, you know, trudging through the rule books. You know, it's one thing I think has really impressed me in the book is recognizing how demoralizing it is for people to work in these heavily rule-based structures. And um, and it robs them, as you say, of freedom and, and, and the opportunity to be creative and just do a a better job. No, and and meaning. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think the most satisfying thing in the world is to to achieve something yourself because you invented it. And and we want to create a society with as many opportunities for people to find meaning in their own work. It doesn't have to be exciting. That's not inventing Google. It's just helping the next-door neighbor. I mean, it can be lots of things, but... But today you can't even help the next-door neighbor because you're not certified to do hospice care. You know, you can't volunteer in the schools. Right. So one solution would be to simplify the rules, to simplify government? Radically simplify government. Create checks and balances for important decisions but not rule-based decisions. Limit litigation to things that a judge or legislature decides ought to be illegal instead of letting people sue for anything. If you let people sue for anything, then effectively everything's illegal. So that's why we don't have anything left in the playgrounds, like no seesaws, no jungle gyms. So we, you know, Not because those things aren't actually good for kids, mm-hmm. but because they will also, from time to time, involve accidents. And in, in our litigation culture, we let anybody sue for it. Well, they shouldn't be able to sue. Yeah. So um, you talk a lot about freedom, why appropriate rules and appropriate legal limits actually enhance our freedom. But one of the points you made was in these re- highly regulated environments with, with endless, endless rules, it also opens the door to all kinds of arbitrary enforcement. It's a, it's a form of society-wide mental illness. So we think we want to create, quote, clear law. So we literally have billions of words of law. So people do understand the Constitution, 10 pages. The Volcker Rule, implementing one small part of Dodd-Frank financial regulation, is 950 pages long. Nobody understands it. I was with Paul Volcker recently. I asked him if he had read it. He said, I tried reading it, but I couldn't get it past the first page. I couldn't understand it. But Paul Volcker, the former head of the Federal Reserve, who was the inspiration for this law about separating uh, commercial and investment banking. Yes, and yeah, he, didn't and understand. He, he, he doesn't and, understand the yeah, law. So in the name of clear law, we've created law that's incoherent. The other justification, which conservatives 
buy into is we want to prevent government officials from being arbitrary, so we want to shackle them with really clear rules. Three strikes and you're out. For yeah, instance. yeah, yeah. That's right. The problem with that is that when you have all these rules, nobody actually complies with it. So you've, in effect, mm-hmm. given arbitrary authority to every inspector. You, an inspector can go into any restaurant, any workplace in America and find multiple violations. So you've, in effect, given arbitrary authority to the government in the name of avoiding it. And so it, it doesn't work. Another one of your suggestions for how do we fix it is to scrap the current civil service system and change it, make it more merit, merit-based rather than just merely people showing up for work each day. Right. You give them responsibility and you figure out a way to hold them accountable. There's a, a wonderful not-for-profit in Washington that Paul Volcker helped form called the Partnership for Public Service. They've recommended, among other things, that government service no longer presumptively be a lifetime job. Why should it be a lifetime job? Instead, we've created this kind of cast of untouchables who are these poor people who get stuck in government for their whole lives. They can't leave it. They can't afford to leave. Yeah, because they'll give up their pension. Right. And they have these unrealistic pension rules that allow them to retire, you know, at an early age. It's It's just not a good system for anybody. So specifically, you know, you talk about giving regulators uh, more leeway to follow smart general principles. Where's an example where you see that working well? The Federal Aviation uh, Administration has the job of certifying new airplanes as airworthy. There are rules, but the rules don't say things like how many rivets per square inch or how to make an airplane. So, So how does it happen? A group of experts, nameless experts in FAA, get together and they do a pretty good job of evaluating new technologies, you know, new materials, and making these decisions. And the air safety is, knock on wood, just incredibly... Yeah, it's, it's in, terrific. In, in, ...incredibly reliable. And it all goes through these people who have great discretion to judge for themselves whether the plane meets the criteria. That, that, that's a great example. I, I mentioned I'm working on a book about disasters. The aviation industry, very high-risk field because of flying through the air, and yet hard to find a better example of an industry that quickly learns from mistakes and builds progressively towards greater and greater safety. So that focuses on the, the last solution that we have time for, and <laughs> we could talk for days. Well, actually, yeah. Um, is I, is on regulators uh, focusing on results and, and not on punishing people. Yeah, really an important concept of of regulation is supposed to enhance a free society by making sure that nursing homes, you know, don't fall below a minimum standard and daycare centers have reputable people. But it's not supposed to tell people how to do their job, either in detailed rules or other. It's supposed to be an enhancement of everyone's freedom, and that should be the standard all the time about regulation. Is this system of regulation enhancing everyone's freedom. It might oversee somebody, but that enhances other people's freedom, too, if they do it the right way. Instead, what we have is this horrible, mechanical, bureaucratic robot, you know, the world's worst, this junk pile of law that's mm-hmm. been in regulation that's been built up over the years. I mean, democracy is really run by dead people. I mean, forget about it. It's, it's not who's in government. Nobody's making a decision. It's all these stupid rules that are written by people who are long gone. And and so instead, we should be looking at what the results are. And that's what makes life fun for everybody is let's, let's make it better. We've had a lot of fun. 
speaking with you, Philip K. Howard, author of The Rule of Nobody, and many other books on similar topics. Yeah, lots to talk about. And I think we're going to have to have you back. I, we, I think we're just getting started on some of these issues. And um, <laughs> But it, I think there really is – I can't think of a more important issue for our day. And, and um, this is something that we are on a path that we can't continue on indefinitely. So maybe that crisis is coming. Hopefully it's not too severe, but enough to maybe get some people thinking. Change has to happen. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks thank again. you. Thanks for having me. Well, that was a really fascinating discussion. A little hard to pick apart all these ideas. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, I'm concerned that we've left the wrong impression about people who work for the government. What I think you referred to, or maybe Philip did, is clerks and jerks. They're not clerks and jerks in the sense that there are a lot of people who work in the depths of government in some of trying to interpret some of these very complicated laws who do a great job. I mean, for instance, my daughter's trying to open a yoga studio in New York. She's been dealing with the building inspection department of New York City. She's found those people to be incredibly helpful. I've often found my interactions with people at DMV or forming the business that I've just been doing. Those folks have also been very helpful to me individually. So I don't want us to get confused with with what we're talking about, saying that the people who are putting these laws into place are necessarily jerks. Right. But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to defend the, the, that take because what he's really saying is when um, instead of having some flexibility to use your common sense to achieve the positive end that your your job is supposed to help you achieve as a government regulator, you're, you're checking boxes off on the list. You do become kind of a clerk. Uh, you could be a very nice one and a very well-intentioned one. People don't go into these businesses because they're bad people. I mean, into these agencies. But here's the thing. When you have these endless rules, it opens the door to arbitrary enforcement, as he said. So when the jerk does come along, they have a frightening amount of power over us. They can shut down your business. They can audit your taxes for no good reason. There are too many rules, and therefore everybody's guilty of something. And in the wrong hands, that power can be very, very abusive. So it's often about punishment rather than just trying to make things work. Now, one of the things that I was a little confused by, maybe you can help me with this, was was the sunset laws, was yeah. the idea of laws automatically expiring. Not sure yeah. about that. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I love this idea that we're, um, you know, that we're ruled by, by all these dead politicians. So many rules are based on, you know, uh, conditions that, that existed at a certain time that are no longer relevant. You, you take something like, say, the Clean Air Act or the Clean Water Act and you say, how is it working? Where is it effective? How can we te- tweak it? So important laws aren't going to disappear. The public wants the air and water uh, to be clean. But we may, in, in all those years, in the 45 years or so since those laws were passed, we may have figured out ways to do some of these things better. One of the great points that he made, and it's not just in this book, The Rule of Nobody, but it also is in The Death of Common Sense, written 20 years ago, is this idea of principles versus laws, that we govern by a set of principles that are more moral that are easier to understand than laws that often run hundreds, even thousands of pages. Yeah, and if you think about it, this really honors the professionalism of those of those bureaucrats that you're talking about who do go into these fields because they want to 
you know, help the poor or clean up the environment or whatever, you know, regulate banks so they work properly. Let's honor their professionalism, give them that respect to have some flexibility. But at the same time, if we're going to give that, they need to have accountability. We can't have our current system where it's essentially impossible ever to, um, to get rid of somebody who's, a, you know, a civil servant. It's a job for life. He called it a caste system. It really has become something like that. So they're going to have to accept a little more risk of you know, being judged on, on the quality of your decisions over time, not arbitrarily, but we need a better system, just the way the entire rest of the world works. You know, you go to work, you do a good job, you get promoted. If you don't do a good job, maybe you'd be better off in a different line of work. Now, I know we've been talking about dead laws and broken government, but I think this is probably part of a broader societal problem. I'm thinking of parenting, for example, when parents seem to be so much more controlling now than they used to be, that it isn't just government, that we want to eliminate risk wherever possible. And we can't always do that. You can't, we can't eliminate all risks. And I think um, – I do think this sort of rule-based uh, approach – you look at some of what's going on in college campuses today where uh, not only do people think they should eliminate all risk, but they should even el- eliminate the discomfort of being exposed to ideas they don't like. And you know these endless rules about what you can say, what you can't say, which words are off limits – it's, it's worrisome. I think we're heading in a – as he said, you know, we're going to need a big change to uh, rethink this and move back to a, a, a society where there is more autonomy but also more responsibility. Recently, we had Beverly Harzog on our show, How Do We Fix It? And she was talking about credit card debt. And she gave an example actually of a new law that works pretty well, which is a law that – it's called the Card Act. And it makes – the aim is to simplify uh, credit card bills and make them easier to understand. So passing, Great example. passing yeah. laws that, that inform people, that help people make decisions, that Clear things up. That's right. not a bad thing. Yeah, instead of having 15,000 pages of really precise rules about, about what your interest rates and sh- stuff should be, although there's plenty of those too, you uh, a, a pretty simple rule that says make sure that your consumers get a clear, honest description of what you're selling them. To me, that makes total sense. Well, we're all about simplicity and clarity today. <laughs> Great. Jim, thanks a lot. Oh, listen, it's been great. And we can't go without thanking Miranda Schaefer, our producer, for many of the good questions that were asked today, and Joe Plorid, our audio engineer, for making it sound good on how do we fix it. And GSI Studios in New York. We'll be back next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. 
Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.